When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Off Tackle Empire podcast where despite the fact that we are about to talk about a very train heavy program uh we'll still just drive it if it's under 12 hours because we're the big 10 podcast of the uh of the of the sb nation media network uh and 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 that's really you know if it's only going to take like one entire day you know, maybe, maybe then a little bit more. We'll, we'll absolutely drive it. Uh, even if we had trains, that would still be true. Well, yeah. So we, we don't live in Chicago itself or the first couple suburbs. So regardless of whether it's a 10 minute drive or a 10 hour drive, uh, we're going to drive it. Yes. Once again, I am uh, Steve Braun, aka Thumposaurus. Uh, I'm here with my intrepid co host, Andrew Kraszewski. And we have with us to discuss the Purdue Boilermakers, uh, our, our colleague Boilerbot. Welcome to the show. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I find myself, uh, you know, as a person who's always loved trains, um, not only did I choose to not go to Purdue for engineering, but I chose to live out here in the least train have an ass city in the developed world. Oh, I don't know about that. Cincinnati may have less trains, but there, well, there are there the are few points, trains yeah. we have are an affront to the idea of public transit. So I'd rather have no trains than have the trains that we have. So in terms of trains, though, there are trains that people can well, use as the transport. Amtrak, yes. and that, right, and that well, and then there are all the trains from Canada that will just block every cross, you know, every crossing in town for an hour if you get stuck at the wrong place. So there are trains. They are just such that they make you hate the idea of trains even more than if you didn't have a feeling out of the first. Yes. Place. So but, having actu- actually no trains would probably be better than what Detroit has. Yeah. If there were no trains here, it would be an easier sell to get trains than the current situation. So anywho, uh, <laughs> that brings us to our discussion of Purdue. And boy, but I don't know how well you've tracked our coverage of Purdue the last few years. I've been a fan of Jeff Brom since he got there. Thump a bit less so and various other figures on the blog are salty because we like him more than, for example, PJ Fluck, who was hired in the same year. But I was also case, very high on, yeah. on Jeff Brom. But of course, you know, the thing that started to turn me on that um, was something that he did prior to what, 2020? Um yeah, 2020. When he hired Bob Diaco. <laughs> and then that, I started yeah. to think like, hey, wait a second. Maybe this guy's not 100% sure what he's doing. That was, uh, I remember it clear as day. Like the day that that was announced, we uh, might not have been the same day, but the first episode we recorded after that, Steve and I were both agreed like, this is the worst idea we've ever heard on paper. What the hell is he doing? Maybe this will work out, but it really doesn't seem like it will. And then the entire time he was DC, it did not work out. And then he fired him quickly and it was like, all right, well, that went exactly how everyone thought it would. I don't know why, but anyway. It, 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 it was like a microcosm of like, you know, there's a few of those hires that you have in the Big Ten that are just like that. Like the Mike Riley head coach hire at Nebraska where everyone was like, well, this is going to be bad. And then it yeah. was bad. Yeah, and yeah, then- it was <laughs> It was, this will be bad, but at least he's a nice guy and we won't hate our head coach for a little bit. And then we can hire somebody else and he recruits well enough that there'll be some talent left over that. And that was how it went. So, so yeah, for Jeff Brown to then do something on that magnitude, 
but then, you know, he immediately realized the mistake that he'd made. Um, and it certainly looks like, you know, the worry was even if he does this, you know, how bad is the damage? And apparently not that bad. 2020 was a rough year. Yeah. That being said, as a whole, I've been, I've been very happy with Jeff Brom, um, much better than Daryl Hazel, obviously. Sure. I'm not drinking after every single game, large amounts of alcohol. But there have been some questionable decisions on the coaching staff. Uh, Bob Diaco was obviously the most important one. Um, but we're also on our fourth defensive coordinator in four years now. And that's not a recipe for consistent success. Well, wait, aren't you kind of on your sixth defensive coordinator because you've got like a brain trust of three dudes there? Or is well, actual... no, one of them left after last okay. year. So we're down to just two co-defensive coordinators. So, yeah, if you want to go that route, you could say we're on our fifth in four years. But It's it's definitely not the orthodox route for success, but it does bear mention, you know, it, everything we said so far would lead you to think Purdue actually didn't have a good season last year. It's really just kind of intended as framing because in spite of some questions, especially in the pandemic season uh, and the notion that maybe this isn't really taken off. I mean, if you talk about peers, yeah, it's going better than Scott Frost, Nebraska. You could, I, I think it's probably a little bit behind what Fleck has done at Minnesota, but it's also like, man, Fleck is really settling in very comfortably. Like he doesn't have to do much more. Um and so the season that the that those respective programs like, there's always going to be a tendency to compare coaches that are hired in the same year. Uh, and after this nine win season that Purdue had last year, um, absolutely thrilling win in their bowl game over Tennessee, probably the one of the better bowl games, the best bowl game I watched. Yeah, yeah, of last season to be sure. Um, it's felt like every in, touchdown yeah. in that game was over sixty yards. Yeah, well, and of course the thing was. It was leading into the Peach Bowl, which I flew down to Atlanta and watched in person. But we were at bars that we went out drinking in town before we went to the game. And every TV and every bar is tuned to that game. And everyone's just like, oh, this kicks ass, man. And so like, gave a crap. Like, and then, it, of course, as all bowl games do, it ran long. So we left before the game was over. And as I understand it, it carried over like well into the first quarter of the Peach Bowl that nobody watched, which in terms of on-field action was is certainly not what the Music City Bowl was. I was very pleased with the result. But anyway, uh, it was a fantastic game. Certainly stole a thunder away from my team's New Year's Six Bowl the day of. But what are you going to do? Um, so it's an interesting position that this program is in here. There's going to be changing the guard at a few key spots, losing just incredible players at impact positions and George Karloftis and David Bell and they'll have there's been some persistent balance issues on offense as well that we'll get into but going into this season with what you've got coming back Purdue has these things okay they have the best quarterback in their division by a mile by a mile by a wide margin I mean kind of the only quarterback worth the shit in their division to be perfectly frank well for what Minnesota wants to do Tanner Morgan works fine but other than that yes you could argue that there's no other team in the division that has a settled quarterback that they know can do what their offense wants to do. Tara Morgan does what Minnesota wants him to do. It's just very, very little. Um, and sometimes that wins in games. Sometimes it doesn't. But in terms of an offensive ceiling, Aiden O'Connell by a mile, best quarterback in the West division. And there's really no division powerhouse to speak of. Like Iowa last year, great defense and special teams but pr probably one of the less convincing division champions you've had, even given how weak the big 10 West has been for most of its existence. So even losing guys like Bell and Karloftis, when you look at the rest of the roster that will go through as we carry on here, you know, the time might be yeah, the, the iron might be hot to be uh, to be welded into the, uh, the train thing. Uh, this is a train reference time uh, for the division title train to leave the station. Uh, if it's ever going to happen, even losing a couple of excellent players like those guys. So Purdue rode 
a top five passing offense in the country last year, as we referenced with O'Connell and Bell being the stars. Um, a couple of huge regular season upsets beat number two, Iowa at the time of the game. Um, also beat number three, Michigan State at the time of the game. Overall, their offensive numbers were merely so-so because as good as their passing game was, the ground game is really pretty terrible. Uh, hasn't been all that good during the Brom era. I mean, he had DJ Knox and Markel Jones carry over from Hazel. They were pretty good, and they made their run game work for a while. After that, it's basically been Xander Horvath, who's had his moments, but not exactly a kind of guy who can rely on for 100 games. Um, did not have a single 100-yard rusher last season. I've been surprised as we've done this series. This is not the first time we've said that. And, you know, there's been plenty of teams with bad offenses that we've talked about. But still, given what, two-thirds of the conference would prefer to run the ball every down if they can, I've been surprised to find this many teams that did not get a 100-yard rusher last year. Uh, King Joru got 95 and lost to Minnesota. True, pretty close. And it, I guess maybe that's setting an arbitrary note because what difference do those five yards really make? Well, yeah, if anything, it might say that since Minnesota only ever wants to run the ball, you might have played into their hands a little too much by giving your guy 95 yards as O'Connell was limited to 371. Was a big rain game, um, which is probably why we ran the ball so much. One of the things I found interesting last year is we came into the season saying we wanted to run the ball more. We'd been passing too much in the past. We needed more balance attack. A couple games into the season that wasn't working, that script was completely thrown out the window, and we went back to the pass-heavy attack we've seen throughout the Brom era. Yeah, pretty, pretty really, much. And- if you're ever going to test out the ability to run the ball, having David Bell go down for you know in the Notre Dame game, and then he missed the entirety of Illinois. Uh, if, if, you're, if you want to see whether or not you can really do that, you know, kind of straight up, uh, you know, that was that was probably going to be one of the more, uh, you know, defining moments for an emerging Purdue rushing game and uh, kind of didn't end up really providing the kind of firepower they would they would need. I mean, they let's see, they scored 13 against Notre Dame, scored uh, 13 against Illinois, scored 13 against Minnesota. I don't. I believe Bell was back for Iowa. Yes, he he yeah. absolutely lit Iowa on fire. For, I I meant to look this. Oh up no, Bell was, was Bell played in the Minnesota game. He may have. I know he was back for Iowa because the the Incredibles and we talked about this the week of the game. I know I had the numbers at that point. I did not think to carry them over for this, but in his three games against Iowa, he had like. Not all that far off from 900 yards. Several receiving touchdowns just absolutely lit Iowa on fire Um, because Purdue has the common sense to just keep throwing scissors when their opponent keeps throwing paper, and that's kind of how Iowa's going to roll. So, yeah, we've we've referred to the balance thing in the past, usually after a weather game, and there's it feels like there's been at least one of those every year. Um, Purdue gets involved in a bad weather game. It impacts the quality of their passing game, and they don't have the run to fall back on. Now, I've come to wonder after this last season whether it's as big of a deal as we've made it. I do think it's, again, it's a real problem if it happens when you're up against a team like Minnesota or Wisconsin. And the problem is, even if it's only one game a year, chances are one of the it's going to be one of the division contenders you have to get over in playing that kind of game. You have to be able to win a sort of 1916 type of game both in terms of year and score uh, where the passing game just isn't working the conditions aren't allowing it uh and it's been a difficult thing for Purdue for Purdue to get done you know that being said though it was still for the most part a good offense to watch certainly um O'Connell had two 500 yard games last year both in the bowl and against Michigan State and topped 370 through the air four other times uh if it weren't for the volume numbers that Stroud and Ohio State were putting up, I think O'Connell would have been you know, most likely the silver football winner, offensive player of the year and all that. And I hope he gets that kind of attention. Um, the tendency to just not say, okay, yes, the Ohio State guy gets it because the numbers are biggest. I understand that, especially when they're perennially in the conference race. But I just wish the media guys who made those decisions took a little more context into play because if man, if you gave Aiden O'Connell the toys that CJ Stroud has to play with, my God, the things that he would do on that field. 
Yeah, imagine several David Spell. Right. Well, yeah, imagine a day. Right. David Bell, I think Ohio State actually kind of wanted, but, you know, if they lose out on him, it's like, yeah, whatever. We got the next. Uh, and it's going to be depressing when we get to them in the order because uh, they're doing it again. They've got like numbers two, three, and five wide receivers or something as we sit here. But on the other hand, what you do is you just keep, if you were recruiting one of their receivers, you just keep recruiting them because, you know, there's a 30 to 40% chance that they'll play for you. They, they could play for you next year because <laughs> they can't all keep playing at Ohio State. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so in terms of what the offense then looks like this year, there's turnover in the receiver group. David Bell obviously gone. Milton Wright academically ineligible, which has to be frustrating. Um, Jackson Anthrop, the slot receiver of the Ballyhooed Anthrop line, is finally out of eligibility. So... You've got Brock Thompson, who is an absolute monster in the bowl game on two busted up knees. Those are now fixed. Uh, also making the interesting choice of rating. Well, I mean, if you had to think of a program in the FBS that you want to go to for playmakers on offense, just dynamic through the air, big time explosive. It is, of course, the Iowa Hawkeyes. So who goes and grabs Tyrone Tracy Jr. And also Charlie Jones more recently, who in addition to working his way onto the field last year. It was a great return guy. Um, also bringing in a transfer from Auburn and Elijah Canyon. And they returned tight end Payne Durham. So, boy, about how do you feel about how the offense looks overall? Turnover in the receiver group, but they've reliably replaced that. Still have a quarterback coming back. What's your prognosis going into the season? I'm fairly happy with the wide receiver group. Um in addition to the guys you mentioned, they got TJ Sheffield coming back, um, Marshawn Rice, and another guy I can't remember uh, right now. Suffered injuries early in the season, but looked good in their brief moments of play last year. I think the wide receiver group, it's its a deep group. It doesn't have a David Bell in it, but there's enough guys out there. They're going to be fine on the receiver group. As far as running goes – the offensive line is probably still one year away. Um, you know, feels like we've been saying that for a long time now, but one of the issues I've had with Brom is his lack of recruiting offensive linemen. And it feels like a couple years ago, he finally started to get that to compete in the Big Ten, you've got to recruit multiple offensive linemen if you want to be able to run the ball. But we're not at the point where those guys are upperclassmen yet. And so we're still a year or two away from being able to reliably run the ball against the Minnesota and Wisconsin defensive lines. Well, I guess here's what I would ask. Do you know who your offensive line coach is? Uh, I do. Um, And he had some success at Western Kentucky. Um, But he's been with Brom for the entirety of the air at Purdue. The biggest issues we've had under him was the 2017, 2018, and 2019 classes just getting completely wiped out with injuries. Whether that's a strength and conditioning thing or bad luck, I don't know. But when you have three whole classes where one guy makes it through to his senior year, you're not going to have good offensive lines. Yeah, I, I asked because I know the name of Illinois' offensive line coach, uh, Bart Miller, who I know from social media, he just likes to post offensive line clips and, like, memes about, like, knocking things down that, like, veer into the, like, he might be self-aware and, like, you know, categories. So it's like, that, that's, you know, y- you want somebody to, to – that's one of those things where you kind of want somebody to be – enough of a meathead because they're going to be the guys that are are recruiting they're going to have to have some uh (laughs) some of that going but yeah i mean that's a place where you have have had some continuity then that's probably the best case scenario um for that it, it just is a thing where it just seems like it's a thing where it just hasn't all come together despite um you know, having all of the, I guess, backing that you can possibly have for an offensive line coach, right, to, to, to last an entire recruiting class's um, 
you know, college period um, generally yeah. means that you, you've got a lot of stock in you. And I know his name is Dale Williams. I know a lot of Purdue fans do not like him, like to point him as the cause of the Purdue offensive line woes. But you look at how few guys have made it to their junior and senior years, and I have trouble saying that's on the offensive line coach. He doesn't know what he's doing. Um, we'll see. Uh, this year, everybody made it through spring practice healthy. Um, they're another year older and stronger. This is the year for him to prove it. Always a positive sign when you come through without any season-ending injuries from spring, at least. Um, Gus Hartwig coming back as the center is probably the guy most likely to get some attention for your all-conference team type uh, recognition. Um, I will point out, point out that I see, at least on the sketch outline that I'm looking at, Marcus Mbo, I think is how you say his name, is projected as the starting right guard. I know that's a guy Michigan State wanted pretty badly in Mel Tucker's first year. So you can take that for what it's worth. That certainly, I mean, if you're in, if you're outside of the top four or five in the Big Ten, there's always a fair number of guys in your classes where it's like, all right, we just pull that guy away from the mat, hope the coaches know what they're doing. Um, that certainly at least is not the case with him. It is, as you mentioned, otherwise a fairly inexperienced offensive line. I mean, Holsteg, I think, played last year. Um, so they've got some guys who have been around as well as a few younger guys who are working into that gap that you mentioned with, again, just a lot of injuries that have wrecked some careers. Uh, and the last piece, of course, would be finding a guy who can make something happen, even if the gap isn't there, um, or get the most out of uh, kind of a small opportunity. So King Doru does return. Also very interesting, bringing over a transfer in Samson James. And if that's a familiar name, you might remember him from past Indiana episodes where he was a big time running back recruit, never really got any traction in Bloomington. So he comes up the road or yeah, up the road. If you're looking at a map North South um, to West Lafayette and we'll kind of see what he can do. Um, Xander Horbath, I think always kind of outperformed his raw athletic ability. If I, that's a, maybe a delicate way to say it, um, despite being a former walk-on was at times pretty darn productive, had a couple games where he kind of had to take over vibe. Uh, it didn't happen all that often because again, this is just, it's a ground game that hasn't had a lot of success, but when it has, it was mostly because Horvath was playing well. Horvath was a guy that did, um, was able to do all that was asked of him and was able to take advantage of the opportunities that he had, but never commanded any defensive attention, really. Right. It, it was a thing where it's like, all right, well, if he's going to get three, four yards at a time, you know, maybe you kind of let him do that. But um, he was able to get them. So all the yeah. credit to him. Yeah. But you maybe yeah. you maybe then look for someone with the upside of maybe a guy who could be a, a threat to get loose into the secondary more often. Yeah. So as far as the other side of the ball goes, defensively, of course, in terms of headlines, it was all about George Karloftis last year. He was the name everybody knew, justifiably so, really good player at a glamour position. Uh, but they they were really strong pretty much across the board. I mean, they had a couple games, for example, the Notre Dame game closer on the field than the final score line. There was a kickoff return late in that game. And then eventually as the offense sputtered without David Bell, the defense did eventually cave in, but they really played Notre Dame solid for you know, three quarters and change before they finally knuckled under a little bit. Um, I think kind of an underrated unit overall, because again, this, this program's identity is definitely throwing the ball around on offense, but they were better defensively than I think most people gave them credit for. So Carl Laftis is a loss. They also lose Jalen Alexander from the linebacking group. Very strange decision from multi-year starting safety Marvin Grant, who says, yeah, I could return to play for a pretty good Big Ten team. Instead, I'm going to go and play for Kansas. So, I, you know, bold strategy. Hope see how it works out for him. Cotton dot, you know, dot GIF sort of how, how much eligibility does he have? I think, well, COVID year doesn't count. So I, one or two years, I don't know exactly. Yeah, I believe we, this was just last year, but. Illinois might see him next year then if he's got another year of eligibility. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, Lance Leopold is going to sweep us in that home and home with Kansas. It was it was destined when we set it up, but that's, that's a very interesting thing that he might, I mean, I, 
The question is whether or not that's in Champagne because we cannot beat these Purdue people in Champagne anymore. But anyway. He was a guy out of Detroit that I frankly really wanted Michigan State to try to get. I don't remember if they just didn't try or if it was one of those things where, yeah, this pitch isn't working. Brown's got a, a hotter new pitch because this his recruitment would have been several years ago, of course. Um, that being said, despite losing a couple pieces, uh, it's actually still a very veteran-laden experience, projected to start eight seniors between the guys they have returning, um, a guy, a couple guys back from injury, like Corey Trice, who missed a good deal last year, if not the whole thing. Um, he was he very, played for yeah. a couple games last year. Okay, uh, yeah. Torres uh, ACL, but he looked really good in the couple games he played. Yeah. Uh, getting him back, they have Jamari Brown back on the opposite side and Cam Allen in the secondary. So, again, like, you don't really think of Purdue as having a strong secondary, but I expect them to this year. And then the, the big question is going to be replacing Carl Loftus, trying to find pass rush. They have a transfer in a former blue liner, a former blue chip defensive lineman, Cole Brevard um, via Penn State. They have Carl Loftus's younger brother, Yanni, who is going to come off of his red shirt this year and should be in the lineup. Uh, and a couple of true freshmen, Joe Strickland and Nick Carraway, who you may see out there in some pass rush type situations. So I think Strickland's a little more of a tweener, but uh, still some new faces they're going to give a shot. Also, again, a lot of veteran experience here. So the starter is probably Jack Sullivan at um, Carl Loftus's old spot. But it's an experienced defense. It's certainly one that they need new playmakers from. Um, but a lot of experience across the board. Uh, plenty of reason to be optimistic that they may even be better as a unit, even if they don't have quite the same individual star power as they did last year. Yeah, that's certainly possible. Um, the, the biggest question is who's going to step up and become a playmaker. Uh, across the board, very happy with the starters. The two deeps look good. But can anybody become an impact player to replace a curl off this? And that's an unknown at this point. Yeah, certainly yeah. nobody with this pedigree exists uh, on that roster, but, uh, you know, there's well, always... Well, well yeah. except, except for the guy with the same last name. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I think he's a possibility. It, it may end up being more of a pass rush by committee situation. It's always great to have that mismatch who you know has to have the double team every time. Uh, but again, overall, I wouldn't be surprised if they do come up with yeah, as good of a pass rush, and they should be even better in the back end. So um, we've mentioned kind of replacing some guys, new faces on both sides of the ball. That'll carry us over into the recruiting discussion. And it's interesting because despite a couple of rebound years here, well, rebound year here after the pandemic, the initial recruiting momentum has kind of dissipated in terms of results in the class. So the 2022 group is going to be number 46 in the country per the composite um, headlined by guess what? A quarterback <laughs> in state Brady Allen, uh, not a guy who they're going to need to play this year, but they've consistently recruited well at the quarterback spot. Totally understandable. Um, the only other blue chips are the guys that I just mentioned on the line, Joe Strickland and Nick Carraway. And then there's wide receiver Curtis DeVille, who despite his, pedigree they probably don't need right away even with the amount of carryover or turnover rather that they have again I mentioned the two transfers from Iowa um, guys like Sheffield and Thompson um, and Mershon Rice who they've been waiting to get on the field so most of these prep recruits are likely to be guys that they keep in the incubator for a year or two um, 10 of their prospects are unranked, meaning outside of the top 1,000. That doesn't mean that they're not going to be good players, but it makes it much harder to project instant impact guys. Like if one of them becomes even a consistent backup as a freshman, that would be surprising. Um, the transfers, as we mentioned, are probably more likely to be instant impact guys, the wide receivers, Brevard on the defensive line, possibly Samson James as a running back. So you're going to be looking more for the guys from other schools than you would be um, for high schoolers to be big impact guys for Purdue this year. At least that would be my take. I don't know, perhaps Boyle about you have some insight there. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, we're looking at more of transfers being impact this year, but 
as a whole, I'm a lot happier not relying on freshmen when we've been doing that in the past. Yes. In the past, we've had so many holes to fill that freshmen have to play right away. And this year, we don't see that anymore. Right. Um, There's a much better position to be in. Yeah, and this is the flip side. You know, the guys that we mentioned, like Karloftis, like Bell, had big-time careers because they basically had to play and play big roles from the time they were freshmen. But with a defense, like I said, that has projected eight seniors starting on it, what's the need to play a whole bunch of freshmen right away? You can take your time. And not having the instant playing time available as a credible recruiting pitch does impact, you know, there are guys for whom that is still the most important thing, regardless of NIL or proximity to home or any of the other stuff. Uh, so what, what I'm wondering is how, 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 I guess high schools recruits, everybody involved in the process, you know, is, is perceiving Jeff Brahms, uh, cleanly shorn upper lip uh, juxtaposed with having some success at Purdue since he's now the first coach in a long time to prove that it, it can be done. Um, So the question I guess is, you know, one, has that been a revelation proving that you can win at Purdue without a mustache? And two, just because you can, does it mean that you should I don't think that you should. I think the Purdue coach should be required to have a mustache. Yeah, I would is... like the record to state <laughs> that as I am speaking, I have a very large mustache. Yeah, which you've carefully cultivated since your intensive error in judgment and shaving it off for your honeymoon a few months ago. Um, well, yeah, and so this is very much an, an Ian Malcolm kind of moment, right? And that, and that, you know, just because your coach is. <laughs> Jeff Brown was so preoccupied with whether or not he could win as a mustacheless Purdue coach. They didn't stop to think if he should. So, <laughs> um. Because when we were talking about him versus PJ Fleck, the, the thing I guess that it, you know, kind of goes without saying is that, you know, while, while Brown, like Brown hasn't had the kind of season that Fleck did in 2019, but if you look at where the programs are, it, it feels like Fleck, kind of reach what you could pretty well define as a ceiling for, for, for his Minnesota while uh, Jeff Brom has not found that, you know, see, you know, you, you haven't seen what an upper bound on Jeff Brom's upward momentum looks like. So the question is, do you think that mustache is maybe the last piece to really put this over the top? You know, if we walk into that home opener versus Penn State and Brahm is wearing a mustache, I think it's an automatic win. You're gonna you're gonna sprint to your betting house of choice and put the mortgage on uh, Purdue money line. Yeah, that would make sense. Imagine uh, the <laughs> magnitude of the quake that would be measured if nobody had any idea, like nobody had seen Jeff Brahm for like a month, had actually seen him out in public for a month, and he comes out of the tunnel with a mustache. You know, and there's a tight shot of him up on the up on the video board, and the Purdue fans are just immediately exposed to this to this mustache in a huge home opener. Just imagine, it, I mean, I'd be able to hear it from here. Yeah, it's uh, getting into that Penn State game. By the way, um, we just discussed this last week with our uh, Penn State colleague Ellie regarding his team. So, you know, he's the Penn State guy. Uh, that opener being on a Thursday night, uh, boy, do you know the story behind that? Uh, I think it's just the Big Ten trying to get the game on a Thursday. Um, oh, if only get... if it's much more entertaining than that. This is, as I said, going to be for sure a trivia item at some point. I don't know where. Like, I don't know what city you would expect this to show up in a trivia as, but it's definitely got that kind of vibe. No, actually, the reason that the game moved to Thursday is because ESPN traded the broadcast rights for that game to Fox as a condition of them releasing Joe Buck and Troy Aikman from their contracts so that they can come over and do Monday Night Football. Uh, you, y'all's you broadcast, or your season opener, was traded to Fox. Um, it, just uh, one of the weirder things I've ever heard of, because it's not like, I mean, it should be a good game, don't get me wrong, but it's not like, you know, Alabama USC from Jerry world or something like it's, it's just, it's merely a college football game so that they're willing to do that. 
as part of a trade, letting go of two Hall of Fame broadcasters, whether you think they deserve that or not. Uh, it's still anyway. And in terms of substance, that of the guys game, that have been with the network for decades. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Forever. They've been that's been Fox's um, you know, whatever the hell they call that broadcast. You should know you're a Packers fan. It's their eight. Oh, it's their A team. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was it's just such a weird thing. Um, but that will be an interesting litmus test game for both teams. Penn State had a very down year in terms of results, but they've still got an excellent roster. They still should feel like the top contender to Ohio State in the East. And so whether they can come in and handle Purdue out of the gate will be interesting for them, as well as for Purdue's status in the West. I, I think that nationally it tends to be a little bit of an overlooked program. And again, the pandemic year results kind of you know, motivate that. But even in the context of a division like the Big Ten West that is so wide open, I don't think Purdue has a whole lot of spotlight on them this year, even returning a quarterback, coming off a, a thrilling bowl win that everybody watched. And that's part of what you lose with all the focus that people put on the playoff, man. It's like, like it used to be you could ride a strong finish to the year, you know, your last couple games and win your bowl that would get you positive momentum heading into next year. Now everyone just resets the deck and says, all right, well, who has the most talent coming back? Who's in the top five? That would be your playoff camps. We're only going to talk about them. What would normally be a pretty high profile season opener, maybe it will be helped a little bit by the fact that it is on Thursday heading into a holiday weekend. Uh, but yeah, these days, if you're not in one of those huge national broadcast games in some soulless NFL stadium, it feels like your season over kind of gets brushed away. Well, the other thing is, as far as talking up teams that could, could you know, that, that, that could be worth watching at the beginning of the year, you know, maybe in a dark horse sense of the word, um, that, that mindset of, you know, let's work backwards from the college football playoff, let's view everything through, the, through that mindset, it doesn't just affect, it, it's not just that it restricts the discussion to teams like Ohio State and Penn State and such, it's also that, there, there actually are a lot of people talking about a, uh, you know, a, a dark horse team that could make some noise out of the Big Ten West. And it's Nebraska because they've got all the talent, <laughs> right? It's like, never mind what Purdue's actually done on the field and, and anything. Never mind what Nebraska's actually done on the field. Uh, you know, that's, that's how we got to talk about football now is. Yeah, well, and so when we talk about this boy, about what he's really referring to in terms of these big time national writers uh, is is me because yeah. I <laughs> because I predicted Nebraska to win the West this year um, because if you don't if once in a while you just gotta throw a ball straight up into the sun as high as you can just to see how high you can throw it you know that's really more what it is than intending to be right I think as is that before or after the ball comes down hits you back in the face. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if you think about like the odds that you actually throw it on such an angle and again, Purdue, you, you should know this, like the math involved and everything, like the odds that you could actually aim a parabola such that it would come straight back down and hit you in the face are pretty slim. If you just hold still, like if you hold still in that scenario, you're probably in the safest spot. And so that's why I'm not going to change my prediction, even though as I went through preparing for this, I was like, wow, Purdue has a lot more coming back on defense than I realized. Uh, so again, I'm, I'm not going to waffle. I'm staying hey, strong. If and, we're comparing this to lobbing balls way up in the air, that what, what, what you've done then to me by insisting on this is a lot more like uh, one of my friends I used to play tennis with a lot. Like he, one of the things he used to like to do is just, just, just lob a ball way the shit up in the air. So that I would be <laughs> looking into the sun to spot it. Uh, and then he stopped doing that because, uh, you know, and I, I, I didn't I didn't do the, the podcast equivalent of this to you, but I, I would just instead change my grip to more of a baseball bat grip and just <laughs> bam, we're done with that ball now. <laughs> Fucking stop it before we run out of balls. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll walk through game by game, but 
Boyobot, in terms of produced schedule this year, anything of particular interest, anything that jumped out, things you like, things you didn't like? It's incredibly manageable. Um, you know, we don't play in the East, and we don't have any of the top three teams from last year's Big Ten East on the schedule. Um, that gives Purdue a chance to compete for the West Division. I don't think they ultimately win it, but the schedule lines up that they could. Yeah, I mean, that Penn State game to open the season, there's a pretty strong argument that's going to be your hardest game. I mean, going to Camp Randall is never easy, and given that it's late October, yeah, there's a decent chance that's going to be one of your weather games, and as you mentioned, you you're... Yeah. I've written Wisconsin off as a loss like every year. So, but Wisconsin has to play Ohio State. Yeah. And, you know, what I'm going to say about them, as, I'll, as I think I'll still be able to say when we get to them sooner than we usually do, which is, man, I, their passing offense could be dreadful. Like they figured out their ground game and got back to being themselves a little bit down the stretch last year. But, man, they made no moves to upgrade their quarterback or receiver group. They lost the top three receivers they did have from a bad offense. I, I just like, they're really going to give the ball to Braylon Allen 50 times a game and call that an offense, I guess. But anyway, yeah. so that does not make them the only group in the big 10 West about which we've said, well, passing was a problem for them last year. And what they've, <laughs> and this year, what they've done to upgrade that is, Lose most What's of their best exactly? receivers. Yeah, like we, we could copy paste that and say the same thing about Iowa, except Iowa doesn't have Braylon Allen. So. I mean, to, to, to an extent, you could say Minnesota. Um, you could definitely – I mean, we said it about Illinois. I have no idea where who's going to catch the ball. Uh, yeah. Northwestern yeah. is a mess, like generally yeah, speaking. Yeah. I mean, honestly, even losing what they did, Purdue's receivers also are the best in their division <laughs> yeah. by such a wide margin, such a wide margin. On the field, anyway, Nebraska's on paper are very good, but you know, true, yeah, okay. But but until Nebraska yeah. <laughs> shows me that that translates into, you know, winning games, then on paper they shall remain. As far as I'm concerned, Nebraska has, yeah. Scott Frost has not yet earned the benefit of the doubt. As far as that goes, nope. And that's why, yeah, like I know I'm out on a little bit of a branch with it. Um, I mean, it, for what it's worth, whoever wins this division, I would still expect to lose to whoever comes out of the East. Uh, but that being said, the crossovers, as you mentioned, Penn State to open the season. You know, there's going to be Indiana to close the season. That's in Bloomington this year. The final crossover, a road trip to Maryland in early October. Probably nothing to worry about. They're kind of like Purdue, but worse. Um, the non-conference, nothing especially challenging. Indiana State as kind of the tomato can in week two. Florida Atlantic, Um Sandwich in between those two is a road trip to Syracuse, which has been pretty bad lately, but has an excellent running back in Sean Tucker, uh, a good running quarterback in Garrett Schrader. So they will at least pose an interesting defense for or a challenge for the Purdue defense. Probably still a thing where Purdue comes out of that non-conference with three wins, though. They certainly could, and that should probably be the expectation with this schedule. But I've seen Jeff Brom lose too many non-conference games. He probably shouldn't. Um, so I yeah, wouldn't be surprised, yeah. especially if they managed to pull off the win against Penn State to open the season. They followed up with a loss to Syracuse. Stub your toe on that. Yeah, so the thing you would have to remember is the, the weather element's not going to be a thing. They do play in a dome. Um, and... Yeah, man, it's just like the extent to which their defense has absolutely disintegrated the last few years, it's hard to overstate. Um, although, again, they're in the new ACC, which is the old Big 12, where nobody plays defense and suddenly everybody has really good offenses for some reason. Really good passing offenses, too. Yeah. Um, which is weird. Syracuse is a bit of an outlier in that in that regard. But uh, basically, the interesting thing is, for Tommy DeVito, all roads lead to playing Purdue this year. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. He could <laughs> he, he could have stayed get away. at Syracuse yeah. and played Purdue, or he went to Illinois and played Purdue. Well, and and since the Illinois game is on the road, all roads lead to playing Purdue while wearing an orange uniform. Yes. Uh, so, <laughs> so uh, the schedule does I will have oppose Purdue in orange. Yeah. Uh, the Big Ten slate is split four home games and three roadies for Purdue this year, so they do only have three combined home games in October and November. You don't love that, but look, that's just kind of how it is every other year. Um, 
yeah, overall, I think you've got to hope that you get to that trip to Camp Randall, at least within a game of the division. Um, at that point, the conference games that they'll have played will have been Penn State at Minnesota, at Maryland, and versus Nebraska. If you go something like three and one in those conference games, I don't, I mean, Wisconsin can't be more than a game ahead of you at that point. And that's, that's kind of where you decide, the, you figure out real quick, are we a division contender this year or not? Well, um, per, per Andrew's prognosis of this division, that game before Wisconsin is the most important, right? Nebraska, Purdue. Could be. Yeah. Um, again, you'd certainly much rather have that at home than going to Nebraska, at least traditionally. Um, boy. I'm either going to be the only one who predicts that or, well, I, I have like no online presence. Anyway. Well, it's, it's that. not, it's not unreasonable. No, because they really are the most talented team in the division by a pretty wide margin. They were the greatest <laughs> three win team in the history of college football last year. It's just that, you know, the question is how long does this streak of they can't seriously continue to do this? Can they, does it carry over another football season? Because Every single time they would do the thing they did last year, it seemed impossible that they could do it yeah. again. And I just chose to believe that they could. And, and, and by, <laughs> by the end of the year, I just said, oh, no, they're absolutely going to do it because yeah. they've got this down to a science. So yeah. there came there came a point right where it was kind of like, all right, now it's now it, it's it's fool me six times. I should probably stop being fooled fool, by this. Fool, <laughs> fool shame on you. You can't get fooled again. You can't get fooled seven times, right? Um, um, so if Purdue were to have a really embarrassing defensive meltdown in a game that wasn't against Illinois, I think I would prefer it to be against Maryland because that sets up for that game to be super fun and stupid, right? Yeah, that could be a very entertaining game played in the 40s. That... Yeah, I, I think Purdue either wins that game by 30 or loses it by three. Um, I don't think there's any scenario where Maryland is the dramatically better team. Uh, and if it is a close game, it just feels like one of those random number generator Maryland things where, and it's also earlier in the season when they usually pray pretty well, but you are in the month of October, so you should be fine. Um, okay. So last kind of last point then for football, before we pivot to hoops, if you had to guess overall season result for Purdue Boilerbot, what would it be? I know the schedule is a lot easier than last year. And I don't think the team's worse than last year, but, but I'm going to go with eight and four. Probably reasonable. Um, Which raises the question, just how many teams can we have in the Big Ten West go eight and four? This feels like Iowa week is still a few weeks away. By then, I need to have this worked out. The maximum number <laughs> of eight and four teams that are possible in the Big Ten West because – yeah. That does seem to be everybody's best case scenario right now in the Big Ten West. And for, for some, that means that's a low ceiling. For some, that means it's a high ceiling. But for and, everybody in the Big Ten West, you can look and except maybe Northwestern or Illinois, you could basically say, and, you know, eight and four is not out of the question for sure. Yeah, well, I mean, again, perhaps what we'll end up learning is that the true, the, the real scenario for nebraska in this century really is exactly four losses so we'll pivot then to hoops where i wonder what the vibe is for purdue fans coming off of last year so with the preseason hype getting to a number one ranking pretty early in the year i think it probably has to be viewed as something of a disappointing season uh, between now number five Overall NBA draft pick, Jaden Ivey, current Detroit Piston. Very happy about that. Um, an array of complimentary shooters around him and a combo of size down low in Travion Williams and Zach Eady that you just don't see in college basketball. Um, Purdue doesn't really have any accomplishments to point to as a result of that season. Um, no regular season conference title, no conference tournament. Um, made it to the Sweet 16, so I guess that's something. And they did get over that Chris Beard hump, seeing him in the tournament yet again, knocked out tex a Texas team that was a very popular Final Four pick. Um, losing to a Cinderella like St. Peter's is going to take the historical tarnish off of it a little bit because people will say, well, look, that was just a magical run. What were you going to do? 
And it'll help people forget that on paper, that was not a game that should have been within 20 points. Um, but again, the quality of the story will, I think, kind of wash that away for everyone who's not wearing um, the crimson and cream. So, you know, if we're going to, I don't want to, a lot of times we end up having, having a contributor on where by the end of it, we've got them at their lowest point. So I'm going to start basketball <laughs> at the lowest point here because it'll yeah. all get better from here. Can you explain to me why Zach Eady was glued to the bench at the end of this game? Because when I, when I turned it on, I hadn't yeah. watched the whole things thing. I turned on part of it and I thought he'd fouled out. He was sitting on the bench looking real miserable. Same. Yeah. Come to I find see, out yeah. he has no fouls. Right. <laughs> did, did he just have hands of stone all day or what, what in the hell happened there? So I don't have a great explanation, but if I had to attempt to put one together, um, St. Peter's were just hanging over all of our offensive players. And the one thing Zach Eady has struggled with is being strong with the basketball when he's got two or three defenders draped over it. Presumably when, because he's been conditioned to believe he will get a whistle every time. And in that particular game, they did not blow the whistle not that that explains the loss at all there are plenty of other things purdue could have done but i believe that's why he was on the bench yes that is the question that i had because yes there are a lot of other things Purdue could have done but that that having i only watched the last maybe eight minutes of this so that that just that just bewildered me to 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 see how things went in that in that uh direction so it's it's just and, you know, I think I ranted about this at the time, but I'm going to repeat it now for posterity's sake, just in case I did. Because we have a colleague on this here blogcast, uh, one of the Iowa fellas, and he is of the opinion that actually Big Ten officials need to call more fouls in conference games. That it's a disadvantage to us when we get to the Big Ten, when we get to the national tournament, because our guys are used to everything being allowed. And Wisconsin and Michigan State and these teams just hit you with sledgehammers and they get away with everything. And then you go to the big dance and, well, all your guys are in foul trouble. And I recall saying going into the tournament, I don't remember that ever really being a problem. Like Michigan State's lost plenty of tight games not really all that many cases where it's been because their whole front court has three fouls in the first half because it's called differently. I think it goes the other direction. And this was certainly an example of that where because so many arbitrary touch fouls are called in the big 10, uh, I do feel like there's a little bit of a tendency to expect calls that then don't come in the big dance. Uh, this is a certainly an anecdote in favor of that perspective, I believe. Uh, but again, you know, it was still a very good Purdue team to watch for most of the year. Again, finished outside of banner territory and but, given but by such narrow margins. Yeah. A, a game it, out of, it, yeah. That literally just flipped the result of the game against Wisconsin, uh, where Johnny Davis hit some absolute bullshit off the glass at the end. Yeah. And Purdue, it's Purdue sharing the title with Illinois instead. Right. And then, unless I remember incorrectly, also made the final of the big 10 tournament right and where they lost yep. into iowa so uh it is a very close but not cigar sort of vibe to the season uh something of an interesting transition year for the team from a roster standpoint so you mentioned zach uh, or uh, jaden ivy rather is out um travion williams and sasha stavanovich passing on i think they could have taken a covid year but both moving on and then a couple of other transfers, Eric Hunter off to Butler, Isaiah Thompson to Florida Gulf Coast. As of a couple of days ago, no transfers in just yet. And so what Purdue brings in instead, a three-man freshman class, um, Braden Smith, the point guard, number 191 in the composite, Fletcher Lawyer, a shooting guard, number 91 in the composite, and um, Camden Heidi, number 127 in the composite. Um, you know, I guess you probably see both of the guards right away just because of the turnover. I mean, between losing Ivy and Hunter and Stefanovic and Thompson, you definitely have a need for guys who can handle the ball. It's going to be interesting how Matt Painter chooses to handle the point here because you have a couple guys in Ethan Morton and uh, Brandon Newman who are bigger wing type guys, but that have ball handling chops, I would think, to, you know, stitch something together. 
what is your take from the inside on how they plan to handle that aspect of it, Boyabot? So they did grab a transfer guard from Utah, uh, Brandon Jenkins, uh, maybe a week, week and a half ago. All right, I don't then. think he's a difference maker. Um, I think he might get the last guard spot in the starting lineup, but I don't think he solves the point guard problems. Um, I look at it as it's Eatonworth's spot for point guard next year. Uh, I think he's the best ball handler on the team. I think he's the best defender on the team and the best passer. And the way Painter runs his motion offense, Morton's more than capable of getting the ball up the court and initiating that offense. And he is a guy for a couple of years I've kind of been looking to see because I remember some of the stuff that I read about him after he committed, I was like, all right, this will be the rare kid where I actually do watch a little bit of high school tape. And I know who he reminded me of. And that was Denzel Valentine, uh, where you can see that he has a kind of court vision that's impossible to teach, but also with the understanding that it might not be really ready for a big game action right away. Like you have to give it a minute to develop, but that potentially the results. And again, like, Valentine was a conference player of the year. So you got to remember this is a high, this is a lofty, this is like a best case scenario, obviously. Um, but that was the first and most powerful impression that I had watching the guy. Um, it's not like there's nothing around him either. Uh, Zach Eady comes back as again, a force that really in terms of returning guys on the interior, Hunter Dickinson is like the only guy in the conference who you would expect to be able to go elbow to elbow with him right now. Uh, they also returned Mason Gillis, kind of an underrated, relatively low usage, but very defensively solid, capable rebounder, sort of a stretch four type who can provide you a little bit of shooting occasionally. And then the other thing is they played Caleb first in spot minutes last year, but they're also to keep, able to keep a red shirt on Trey Kaufman Wren, who was a top 40 recruit in the country. So they're going to be just fine in the front court. Uh, It'll be interesting to see if they want to play one of those guys at more of a three. Like, I think you could do that with Gillis, play him at kind of an oversized three position moves well enough that he should be able to stay in front of most wings in the big 10. As always, Purdue's going to have their size. Um, The next seven foot guy is in the pipeline. He's not here yet. Um, Oh no, he arrived. Oh, Uh, does he? Is he? Is he on campus this year? Okay. I thought he was in next class, but okay. Um, So anyway, the requisite two seven footers finally, after just being, Positively tiny with only six foot 11 Travion Williams uh, supplement E last year. It had to be a, a very difficult thing to watch for Purdue fans, but now you're back it, to where it was. Yes. yes. But we've solved that problem. <laughs> back in the, in the, in, in the soft, slightly turnover prone hands of a pair of gentle giants. So uh, I, I do think point guard is the real problem here though. Uh, um, Ivy's not an easy playmaker to replace, but I mean, just in terms of having a threat to drive and either score for himself or kick. And he was good in transition too. And so Ivy didn't play the point guard. So I think it's that driving shooting guard that Purdue doesn't have this year. A lot of very good slasher type scores in the big 10 last year. And uh, not a lot of them returned. Right. Ivy, maybe not chief among them, but, uh, you know, high draft picks. <laughs> yeah, that man, I honestly got to say, like, looking at what's going out versus what's coming in, this could easily be a down conference that this year. And that's why I kind of get to the conclusion that, you know, between Edie and Gillis, those two younger fresher or two younger power forward types, um, if they have anything resembling the same shooting threat, and that's where honestly the highest impact freshman is probably going to be Fletcher Lawyer. Um, if if he turns out to just be a taller, more athletic version of his brother, then that's ab- that's an absolute contribution that Purdue could use this year. Uh, if they have anything resembling the same kind of shooting gravity that Galik Stefanovic had, this should be a team that's in the top two, three, four. I mean, like worst case scenario, you're still in the picture for a double buy in the conference tournament. I would think. I think they have the potential to be a tournament team next year. Concerns about the guard play. But the thing I'm really excited about this team is the defense will be better. The defense last year was such a disappointment all year long. 
but the worst defenders from last year's team have all gone on. Replacing them with guys that are more capable of defending and having the defensive coaches we have should see a tremendous step up there. No doubt about it. We're going to, we're going to take a step back on offense, but the defense should have this team competitive in the big and a down big 10 next year. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the tournament thing is a no doubter. Like this, this will definitely be a tournament team. It's just a question of how good of a seed are they in the, picture for the conference title race again this conference is going to be more fluid than it's been in quite a while um should make for interesting watching at least though so anyway the defending champ number one returns two guys not like two starters two guys (laughs) right yeah yeah i I mean up and down like iowa lost a couple of key players um michigan turned over a huge portion of the roster michigan state yeah, returns a lot of it but they weren't any good um so <laughs> you know uh, a lot of space even for teams that lose some stuff if you have a few key pieces back you're ahead of the pack for the most part all right so that about brings us to our conclusion here on off tackle empire for purdue week b1g 2022 boilerbot any concluding thoughts before we sign off I don't think so. Uh, It should be an entertaining year, and uh, hopefully uh, Purdue can win the West in the last year of divisions. But uh, I'm not holding my breath based on past Purdue fandom. Well, uh, thank you very much to my Purdue, and a shout-out to all my Purdue's and Purdue-dettes and anything in between or outside. Cannot guarantee that this will debut on a Wednesday, but... Spiritually, it is always Wednesday, my produce. Your source for big gun talk, it's off tackle empire.